it's the middle of the week. You're sitting there in your chair. You can feel it, evil. It's that time. It's home day. It's a Wednesday. That can mean only one thing. It's time now for Supernatural News and Parashare. Although we're a little shy on the Parashare. I'm a little disappointed in you kids. Daddy needs to talk to you. We'll do that later. Let's bring in a co-host. We need a co-host with the most. We're going to bring in the BCB, the big cuddly bear himself. By the way, I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Right over there is the co-host. He's the bruiser. I'm the cruiser. That's the Beer City Bruiser. How you doing, Bruiser? Oh, I'm doing great. You don't look like a camel walking around yelling, it's hump day. Hey, you know what? I got a that's different my, that's kind my of... father in law's favorite commercial. Was it? Yeah, what day is it? Hump day. I, uh, I, love that. I got a different kind of hump to hand out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just saying. Yes, yes, I've got a big old hump and I swing from a bell tower. I've gotten pretty good at it in my day. Just saying, ladies, if you want to come up and rub the hump, I got uh, I got no qualms about that. I met an old man that had a hump, and he would say that to ladies. Would he? Really? Yeah, he'd say, you want to rub the hump, and then they'd rub it. He goes, how about, how about your hump? And, and that, I mean, he's like an 80-year-old <laughs> man, so it's like, oh, look at the cre- cre- creepy old guy, you know? I'm going to have one of those because I don't sit straight. My my <laughs> chiropractor, he warned me about that years ago. He's like, you know what? You need to sit with your shoulders back. I'm doing it right now for you um, because we're on I video. I feel and, like I'm pushing my boobs out. I am too, yeah. Like, yeah, my man, what it feels like? My man cleavage, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing it I was told, comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not comfortable at all. The other thing too, I'll show you this right here in between the man cleavage. If you rub this really tight, you, you know, right where the breastbone is here. I, and yeah. I'm just showing that I'm, I'm describing it for our listeners. If you take and you rub the, the where the musculature meets the breastbone. Oh, yeah. If you, you see how that hurts real bad, if you press down and you rub up. Don't hurt me. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. Well, that's because you're an athlete. I'm not. <laughs> I was gonna say that feels good. Me, I can't even. I can't even lift a soup can. Um, <laughs> if you if you rub this right here and it's too tight and it hurts right yeah. where the right where the the pectorals meet the breastbone. Oh yeah. If it's too tight, that means you sit slumped over too much. Oh okay. 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 So practice rubbing upwards towards your neck, yeah. and if it hurts like a mother. Keep rubbing that and rub it all the way up to right about underneath your clavicle and, okay. and keep doing that until it's loose. And you'd be surprised. Your chest will expand and you'll be able to take these really deep breaths. Yeah. Yeah. It's because yeah. See, uh, I, yeah. I do that though with yoga. You always yeah. do that. Yeah. 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 So there you go. That's, that's your physician's that, tip here on that, Supernatural That DDP News. yoga. Remember that, that yep. where you sit and you just, you, you learn to breathe. Yeah. Yep. As I get the hiccups, but yeah, you learn to breathe. Yep. And I've, I've used that ever since. That's your physician's tip today on Supernatural <laughs> News. There you go. But yeah, it... Um, from two of the most out of shape guys. That's right. World. Yeah. From two of the guys who are not supposed to give you physical tips, but uh, there you go. We said <laughs> we're tips. Just, we're just giving them tips. a tip. Yeah. Just the tip. That's all. Just the tip. Yeah. That's you're, all we're you're only getting the tip. Got a big show today for you folks. We got, uh, we've got, uh, boy, have we got news. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Captain Kirk is telling us that uh, he doesn't buy the alien shit. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's... Come on, Kirk, you lived it. I know. We're, we'll, we'll tease you with that. Uh, Avi Loeb says it's just a matter of days before he can prove to us that aliens exist. AI is actually helpful. We'll tell you about that today. Um, T. 
ticks are going to ruin meat for us. We'll end the show with that. Today. <laughs> we got that from uh, one of our listeners. Thank you, by the way, for, for the people who've been sending in um, stories to us. And we found a new drinking buddy for Bruiser. Oh, yeah. I well, like new drinking buddies. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll actually end the show uh, with that as well today, along with the ticks that are ruining meat for us. Uh, we're going to start with a little bit of, we're going to start with obituaries today. I hate to do that. I hate to bring the, the, the mood down on the room, Yeah, but we, we do have to start with a couple of obituaries today. A couple of important people have passed away. We want to acknowledge them in the paranormal supernatural community. Uh, the first one is one that everybody I think heard about in the last day or two. That was, uh, the exorcist director, William Friedkin died at 87. Yeah. That was yeah. sad. He's a fantastic director. Yes. And it was more than just The Exorcist that he directed. Oh, of course, of yeah. course. But he, The Exorcist is what he's most famous for because that literally scared the nation. Yes. Oh, oh, to the point where people were throwing up in theaters. Yeah, and passing out and being carried out. It's crazy to watch those old 70 documentaries where they show people being carried out of The Exorcist Theater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, William Friedkin died at the age of 87 in Los Angeles. His death was confirmed by Chapman University Dean Stephen Galloway, a close friend of Friedkin's wife and former producer Sherry Lansing. He was born August 29th, 1935. He almost made it to his 88th birthday. Wow. Think of that. Yeah. Uh, Friedkin's career in the film industry was marked by numerous successes, but one as enduring or as powerful as The Exorcist there was not. It was released in 1973. The film became a cultural phenomenon, uh, leaving a mark not only in the world of horror, but also in the broader realm of cinema. It was based on William Peter Blatty's novel of the same name. The Exorcist follows the harrowing tale, of course, of a young girl's demonic possession and the desperate efforts of two priests to exorcise the malevolent entity. Friedkin's masterful direction transformed the story into a visceral experience that left audiences around the world both terrified and fascinated. The Exorcist was lauded for its groundbreaking special effects and sound design, blending realism and supernatural elements in a way that was unparalleled at the time. Friedkin's unflinching portrayal of exorcism and his commitment to authenticity led to several controversial scenes, which continue to be the subject of discussion and analysis to this day. The film's influence transcended traditional boundaries, igniting discussions on theology spirituality and the human psyche the exorcist not only raised the bar for horror films but also inspired a new wave of filmmakers who dared to explore the unknown freakin's body of work also extends beyond the exorcist he was also known for his eclectic and bold storytelling he did a, a little film called the french connection i don't know if you've ever oh, heard yes. of it yeah uh, big yes. big movie with gene hackman uh to live and die in la which is a, a favorite of mine i love that movie 1985 but, of course, it was his foray into The Exorcist that defined his legacy. So he will be missed. William Friedkin had a huge, huge mark on cinema. Yeah, it sparked a franchise, if you think about it. Yeah. Because there was that new Exorcist movie coming out this year. Yes, The uh, the uh, Believer, I believe it is. The Exorcist Believer. Yep. Uh, which you can see the full trailer now online. Um, I'm... <laughs> It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I may put up a I may put up a link to the YouTube uh, video, for the the uh, the trailer, because uh, I think you all need to see it. I think you yeah. all need to be terrified and reminded of Friedkin's uh, legacy. You told me about the little girl in the church, but you didn't prepare me for the little girl in the church. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I think Blumhouse has taken it to uh, to the level it needed to be. I think yes. they really did capture Friedkin's spirit. 
I agree. In, in the, at least in the trailers. You know, again, I'll I'll reel it back a little bit because we've only seen the trailers. But the fact that they didn't release the trailer nationwide right away tells you something. The fact that they only debuted it during Oppenheimer, the first couple of weeks that Oppenheimer was out, or at least the first weekend that Oppenheimer was out, tells you that I think we have something special here. Yeah, they're doing that uh, guerrilla-style advertising, which is very old school. Very old school. Right, right. And when you when you hold something back like that and then just tease people and tease them a little bit, tell them, you know, tease them a little bit, that's something else. The other thing, we were talking about Haunting in Venice, uh, the, the movie mm-hmm. a Haunting in Venice, which comes out in September. Um, they had that kind of bland trailer that came out months ago, and it, it fell flat. Now they have the new trailer with Tina Fey and... and and uh, Kenneth Branagh, which mm-hmm. um, it hits a little harder. Yeah, uh, that one is in more wide release now, and I think that it, it does stir up some some interest. I, I've forwarded forwarded it now to a few friends who go, you know what, that actually looks kind of interesting. Yeah, you sent it to me, and I, I think it looks very interesting. Yeah, so we'll see how that one does. Um, I am going to see tomorrow night um, the new Dracula movie, the Demeter movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious because that's supposed to be about the boat ride from yeah. Transylvania to America. Right. And, so, and he's not truly in human form is what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly enough, uh, Dacre Stoker, uh, the the uh, grandson or great-grandson of um, uh, Bram Stoker, is, yeah. is getting an exclusive screening of the movie from NBC Universal. Oh, okay. Which I think is interesting. Because if anything, he's he's a pretty outspoken critic of a lot of the takes on Dracula. So they have to be pretty confident in this movie, yeah, in order to uh, to be inviting that gentleman to. Now, the movie. I don't remember in the book they don't really cover the voyage, right? They they talk about it like it's mentioned, but there's not it's not dedicated. There's no yeah, real there's chapters no... dedicated to the, the the voyage, right? Right, right. So, so it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. Right. Well, you I know? know he he loves fan fiction and he loves he loves fiction about it and he lo- and he even has his own. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he's built out his own fiction uh based on Dracula. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting yeah, to well. see what he thinks. I I'm I'm eager to see his review of the movie. Me too. Yeah. So it it'll be interesting. I'll I'll let you guys know too. Uh, what I think about it. I know people will be like, oh, yeah, you said that before. <laughs> um, I'll try to write something on our blog. Okay. Because I don't think I'll, I may say something, I, w- I won't have it in time for this week's shows. Um, but I may say something on our blog over the weekend. Okay. If that's fair enough for everybody, you just go to darknessradioshow.com. Yep. And uh, go to our blog section. I may throw up a little something on there. I mean, not throw up literally, but, you know, just throw a little something on there and let you know what Well, I if thought. you haven't seen the movie yet, you might actually throw up on there. You haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie yet. So <laughs> I, I can't speak to that. Uh, the other person who passed away, I, I was alerted to this by our good friend Tim Shaw. Uh, online, he has mentioned that Ruth Robinson, the great-granddaughter of Charles Kennard, passed away. And that was today, as we tape, which is Tuesday. Uh, she passed away this morning. Uh, she was 80 years old and one of the, as Tim put it, one of the kindest, most welcoming persons he had ever met. She embraced her family's connection to the Ouija board. Though, as she said, and this, she said this directly to Tim, and this is a quote, you know, it's all bullshit, right? 
<laughs> you gotta love her spirit there. Uh, but most importantly, Tim said she welcomed us, the Ouija community. She was proud of her great-grandfather and loved learning about him. She took the time to get to know many of you at WeijaCon, as Tim said, and enjoyed every minute of it. She then suffered many health setbacks, unfortunately, uh, Ruth Robinson did. She adopted me as her friend, that's Tim Shaw, and next of kin as she's the last in her line, an extraordinary honor. Well, we're glad to know that Tim was adopted by Ruth as uh, next of kin. Uh, because of her generosity, Charles Kennard and his part in the inception of the Ouija board will never be forgotten, and neither will she. Uh, Tim then asks if you have a photo memory you'd like to share, please do. So if you go to Tim Shaw's Facebook page uh, and you have a, a a memory of Ruth Robinson, please go to his Facebook page and share that. That's what you only, you know, that's a, a memoriam, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yep. Someone passes away, share those pictures. And it, it, to take those pictures now. You know, you have someone that you care about and you love. Take those pictures. Yeah. Take them so that when they do pass, you do have something to share. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The next item I have before we get going with stories, our friend uh, Paranormal Sarah, who is a, a psychic is and also a psychologist, is doing an interesting experiment. I don't know if it's an, if it's an experiment, but she's logging people who have had experiences with UFOs and abductions. Okay. Yeah. I got tagged in, uh, and I'm trying to find it here. I, we'll, we'll comment on it more after we've done our alien stories. I got tagged in it a couple days ago that she's looking for people who have had either experiences with UFOs and aliens, whether you've seen a UFO. It's not just seen a UFO. I think you've had, had, had to have had a more intimate experience with UFOs. A close encounter, yes. as you would say. A close encounter, yes. Or actually been abducted by aliens. But she's she's doing some sort of a project. Um, I will, I tell you what, if you've had an experience with an alien or with UFOs or been abducted, email me, tim at darknessradio.com, and I will forward you on to Sarah. And I'll connect the two of you. Um, only serious inquiries, please. Nothing like, oh, I saw lights in the sky. Nothing like that. It's nothing. Right. It's, it's not a, you know, I, I saw, you know, I saw something on a trip one time or anything like that. This is a serious abduction cases only or a serious run in with with a non-human entity. OK, so and, and, and had either one or multiple uh, run-ins with entities. So if you've had that and would like to participate in this project with Paranormal Sarah, uh, please get a hold of me, Tim at darknessradio.com, and I will forward you on to Sarah so that you can participate in this project. Perfect. So there you go. Speaking of aliens, Bruiser, uh, boy, have we got some stories for you today. Avi Loeb isn't back in the news. Um, he claims the existence of aliens could be proven within 28 days. 20, okay. Yeah. So he put a time limit, like, hey, this is where we're going to prove it. That's right. Our Harvard physicist has announced that if debris pulled from the ocean is extraterrestrial or just meteor fragments, we will know within 28 days. Okay. 
And and then he says, intelligent extraterrestrial life will be proven by that. Well, well, let's wait 28 days to see if he's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, scientific proof of the existence of intelligent extraterrestrial life could be coming in less than a month. That, according to a top physicist at Harvard, tiny metal fragments recovered from the crash site of a meteor-like UFO that plunged into the Pacific Ocean in 2014 were strong enough to potentially be some artificial alloy, according to Harvard physics professor Avi Loeb. There's a chance that it's artificial, that it's a spacecraft, said Loeb, leader of the recovery efforts to dredge the fragments off the coast of Manus Island this past June. Loeb, who is also the director of the Institute for Theory and Computation at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, said that the results of this month's analysis could definitely reveal humanity's first contact with aliens. I am expecting further news within a month, Loeb told the Daily Star. That's the hope. Loeb reports that no less than four research institutions are currently training their scientific equipment and personnel on samples from the recovered metal fragments. The fragments, 50 mostly iron spheres from about 0.1 to 0.7 millimeters in diameter, likely came from an object that originated outside of our solar system, based on analysis from Loeb and a former student, as well as scientists with U.S. Space Command. Loeb's colleagues in Germany, Papua New Guinea, and at two top universities in the United States are now busy scrutinizing the spheres to determine if their atomic isotopes, chemical composition, and other details can prove an otherworldly origin. We are in the process of finding out within a month or so what this meteor was made of and whether it is perhaps technological in origin or not, Loeb went on to say. Loeb and his colleagues have taken to calling the object IM-1 for Interstellar Meteor 1. Because <laughs> it's the first. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when they find two and three, we'll, we'll sequel it accordingly, I guess. Now, do you think he'll tell us if it's not? Do you think he'll come on and go, hey, we just, we found some ball bearings on the seafloor. We're sorry. <laughs> no. Our bad. No, no. No? No, that'll no. never come out. No. The biggest, <laughs> no, it will never come out. <laughs> the biggest stink about it is made right now. If it's just, uh, uh, we found a bunch of junk, uh, that he won't call this big of a press conference about it. Yeah. Uh, he says, although it carries another more technical name with NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies Meteor Catalog. Try looking it up by this if you get a chance, Bruiser. CNEOS or CNEOS 2014-0108. I have a feeling that was the date that it came from space. Yeah. Yeah. I like the IM-1. <laughs> yeah. IM-1 is easier. IM-1 is currently ranked first in terms of material strength out of all 273 fireballs in the NASA CNEOS Meteor Catalog. Ask for it by name alongside the Sears Catalog for Christmas this year. <laughs> An early clue to its scientific value. It was moving faster than 95% of the nearby stars near the sun because of some propulsion it had, according to Loeb. It was also made of some very tough material probably like the Sears catalog on your rear end when you run out of toilet paper in the oh, yeah. outhouse. Yeah. Uh, Loeb has left open the possibility that IM-1, which is estimated to have been three feet in diameter and approximately half a U.S. ton in weight, as it burned through Earth's atmosphere, shedding tiny molten metal droplets, might have been an alien probe. This is where we may agree to disagree. Yes, I, you're right. We agree to disagree with Smith at this point. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that that was an alien probe. I think that that was probably more just a 
meteorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> the size of the meteor-like object is within the ballpark of humanity's own probes, now sailing deeper into the cosmos, like the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 spacecrafts, which at the longest points of their high-gain antennas come to a length of 12 feet. The unmanned exploratory probe Voyager 2 is currently itself an interstellar object, now over 12.3 billion miles away from Earth, but still beaming its heartbeat signal back to NASA. If it's something like the Voyager spacecraft colliding with the planet, that would appear as a meteor, Loeb noted. We will find out. That is his famous last word. Well, that, that's the question I have is how can he tell it's not something that we sent up and it just came back to us? His famous last words, Bruiser, we will find out. <laughs> that, that's, 28 days from now, Avi doesn't call press conference. That's right. <laughs> Avi, Avi goes back to the lab and silently starts thumbing through books. <laughs> that's what we get from Avi, Avi Loeb. On the other hand, Bruiser... I have a story in front of me that says that scientist Dr. Stephen Greer is warning of a possible fake alien attack. A fake one, okay. A fake so one. So this is like uh, War of the Worlds back in the day on the radio, huh? Right. Except for this is covering up for something else. Ah, uh, okay. okay. Are you so ready? this is a look over here at this shiny object. Ignore the man behind the curtain. Exactly. Are you ready for a little <laughs> conspiracy theory, my friend? Oh, of course. Okay. Ufologist Dr. Stephen Greer has made a startling claim about the existence of a clandestine fraud operation operating without, without U.S. government oversight. According to Greer, this organization has developed advanced technology that is allegedly being used to stage a fake alien attack on Earth. Again, this being reported by the Daily Star, take it for what it is. <laughs> uh, the operation known as the Outcasts, I think that's a girl group in AEW. Uh, allegedly has groups in various countries around the world and operates beyond political boundaries. Greer stated that it operates in secret and outside the United States, making it a transnational and potentially dangerous entity. According to the ufologist, during the significant technological advancements between 1945 and 1954, mankind not only mastered new technologies, but also created them in secrecy, bypassing government representatives, including the Pentagon and the White House. This advanced technology, according to him, could be potentially used to simulate an alien invasion of Earth, posing a threat to humanity as a whole. It's a non, this is a quote from him, it's a non-linear development of technologies covertly that aren't under the supervision of most of the Pentagon and White House and even CIA and Congress. It's in this rogue operation that tells very little of what they have, he said. Greer founded the Disclosure Project, which collected testimonies from over 700 high-level whistleblowers who wish to release classified UFO data. This raises concerns that the U.S. government may not have a complete understanding of the events occurring in the realm of UFOs and the activities of potential alien organizations. The experts' concerns uh, extend beyond a possible fake alien attack and also include the risk to extraterrestrial civilizations. If humanity were to employ the acquired technology to quote-unquote destroy alien spacecraft, it could lead to discontent and a reaction from representatives of extraterrestrial civilizations. 
Greer believes that extraterrestrial civilizations have apparently been observing the development of mankind and its technologies without direct interference, hoping that humans can handle the challenges that arise. However, the question of how far we can go in utilizing advanced technologies and how much of a threat we may pose to extraterrestrial civilizations remains unanswered. Dr. Greer concludes that humanity must exercise caution and responsibility in the use of new technologies to avoid becoming a source of danger to other civilizations and to maintain peaceful coexistence with extraterrestrial beings. The thing that bugs me about that is he's basically saying the aliens treat us like puppies. Or small children. They want to see if we're going to screw up bad enough. Right. You know, how do we know that... They're, I don't know. That that just bugs me how he says that. Like, so all aliens think human humans are idiots, basically. <laughs> well, there's a there's an interesting story that's kind of related to this that that kind of goes along your lines of thinking. Okay. Okay. That they're just hiding and looking at us and thinking, oh, we'll just wait for the kids to stick the fork in the electrical socket. Yeah. And then we'll tell them what dumb kids they are, right? Yeah. Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner, <laughs> who's been to space, who's been to space, calls the recent UFO revelations ridiculous. Oops, thanks, Kirk. <laughs> the immortal Star Trek actor has called into question the idea that aliens would travel all the way to Earth and then hide. <laughs> See, I, I, I get that thinking, but I also get the thinking like, when you're traveling to new places and exploring new places, you're not necessarily going to make yourself known because you don't know if it's a threat or not. You know, like I'm sure that back in the day when people, you know, when the world wasn't as explored as it is now, you know, mm-hmm. when someone landed on a new land, if they saw people, they would kind of hide and see, are these people going to harm us or not? Well, I'm just thinking, what would you do with your away team here, Kirk? <laughs> you know, there's the prime directive and all that other crap. First of all, think before you speak, right? <laughs> He'd send the guy in the red science outfit so that that guy dies, dies first. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, so we've heard from a lot of prominent figures involved in space, science, and UFO research over the last week or two regarding the recent subcommittee hearing on UAPs and now legendary Star Trek actor William Shatner has joined the fray via an interview with News Nation. It seems like News Nation is getting all these interviews lately that are somewhat controversial. Maybe they're asking the right questions. So here's what William Shatner says, and here's his quote. You mean some highly intelligent being going or goes 10,000 light years with advanced technology arrives here and hides, he said, branding the idea ridiculous. It doesn't make, make any sense. If they're going to make that journey all the way here, it just beggars the imagination that they would hide and make it like, peekaboo, I'm here. No, I'm not. <laughs> right? Yeah. He goes on to say, quote, I mean, what could we want more than to realize that there are other life forms in the universe that have the same yearnings, he added. What's the universe about? What's after death? I mean, the monumental questions would abound. And they would be asking the same questions, but they're not here. If they were, they would make their presence known. How do we not know that they made their presence known? We might know. They might have made their presence known. We just know it was them making their presence known. Right. Maybe they made it known, but we're not aware enough to know. He's thinking like, 
current day stuff. Now, if you go back to like ancient tales, you know what I mean? About people from the sky and stuff coming down. That could have been them letting themselves know. And then they realize, oh, my gosh, these this species are just complete idiots. <laughs> Let's go back into hiding. Let's chill out until they prove that they, you know, can see us. And, and we they're worthy of our technology. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's he's thinking just modern day. He's not thinking the, the lifespan of the Earth. Well, we tend to think in a, a human perspective, right? Correct. And, and yes. we, a lot of times with UAP and with aliens, we tend to think, well, you know, what would they would they think like we would? And first of all, they have to think from our perspective, you know. Oh, so exactly. If if we were going to land on this, you know, mud ball of a planet, uh, of course we would we would do this and we do that and we would do the other and and we would just walk up to the first thing we saw and we start talking to it. No, we yeah. wouldn't. What no. the first thing we do if we landed on Mars and we saw a, an alien being out there skittering around, we probably shit ourselves and go back to the ship. Yep. We're not going to get out and start talking to it. Well, and the thing, too, if they see us, what if they see us milking a cow? That yeah. could be totally foreign to them. Like, what What are they doing to that animal? Right. <laughs> what, you know? Are you choking like, the life out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Is this a sexual thing? Is this right. a nourishment thing? What right. is going on here? Mm-hmm. If we landed on a planet and we saw one alien, you know, wet willing another alien, you and I would be like, oh, look, it's a wet willy, when really it could be, you know. <laughs> Some sort of act of violence of what on their willy. planet. <laughs> That's true. You bring up a very good point. Is that a wet willy? I'm going to see if I can bring up the the audio here of, of uh, Captain Kirk or eschewing uh, his his to uh... Uh, talk about the edge of space bothers me right away. That bothers me. I was in space. What well, that could be the end. <laughs> okay, let's send it was you. In space. You were there. You were absolutely there. And in fact, you wrote an I essay. I was in space. You wrote an essay about your experiences there that I, that really, really struck me. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, I just want to ask you, because we just had these historic hearings last week on Capitol Hill. What did you make of those hearings and the fact that UAPs, as they're now called, are being discussed you know, by witnesses under oath in Congress. Uh, it's just, in my mind, it's ridiculous. You mean some highly intelligent being goes 10,000 light years with advanced technology, arrives here and hides. Doesn't make any sense. If something could reach uh, the earth uh, they would make a, a, a big to-do about, my gosh, there's life in other places. And there is life in other places. Mathematically, there has to be in this universe, there has to be multiple places that, that are filled with life. Life like the, that's like on our planet, burgeoning and, and, and demanding attention and demanding to be alive. But if they're going to make that uh, journey all the way here, it just beggars the imagination that they would hide and make it peekaboo. Not here. No, I'm not. You know, <laughs> you, it doesn't make any sense. You were part of a documentary called A Tear in the Sky that looked to find evidence of UFOs and UAPs. What did you learn in that? That the evidence is filled with imagination. People's desire. I mean, what could we want more than to realize that there are other 
intelligent, and we're maybe not quite that intelligent human beings, other uh, life forms in the universe that have the same yearnings. What's the universe about? What's after death? I mean, the monumental questions would abound, and they would be asking the same questions, but, but they're not here. Because mm. if they were here, they would make their presence known. The, that yearning that we're talking about goes uh, as well to immortality. We all, all uh, well, that's what a graveyard indicates. Put a stone there, Joe Smith was here, he lived, he's gone, billions have come before, billions are coming after, but here lies Joe Smith, remember me. So the remember me, the fact that I, the human being was here, is an eternal yearning. And I have become a, a member of a company called Space Crystals, which has taken this modern technology that we're talking about and, and um, taking your DNA, uh, say, from uh, uh, plucking your hair and getting the hair bulbs with, which contains your DNA. So if you have thinning hair, that's your problem. But you would take your hair bulbs, send them to Space Crystals, and Space Crystals, the company, would make a, a crystal of uh, containing your DNA, making it in space. So the space, the, 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 the enterprise of making things, experimenting with uh, uh, the space vehicle, you would, they would make crystals containing your DNA. Two crystals. Why? One when they Just come so, back so you to could put, Earth. You could put them on the moon? Uh, I, well, I'm about to tell you that. One crystal you would can have in your possession, and the other crystal would go on board the spacecraft going to the moon. And when it gets to the moon, that DNA, your crystal, is put on the ground, and it stays there for eternity, alongside Armstrong's footsteps, which are still there untouched by any erosion. Your crystals are there for, let's call it immortality. Have you and managed to convince a, a, a lot of people signing up to do this? Well, it's a new company and it's just happening. It's on the forefront of science and it's part of... So wait a minute, William Shatner just wants to throw shit up on the moon? Yeah, and he's, I like how he's like, well, it's a new company. <laughs> it's a new company. Here, here's what we got to do, Tim. Yeah. It, follow me on this. Okay. Like, okay, he's William Shatner, Captain uh -huh. Kirk, way to go. He's yep. got this opinion. Yep. Let's get the opinion of a true, a true person that knows space. Yep. Let's ask Harrison Ford. That's true. He is Han Solo after all. And Han Solo could kick the crap out of Captain T. Kirk, James T. Kirk. <laughs> That's true. I know I'm gonna, some of our listeners might get mad at me, uh. but Han Solo is way better than Captain Kirk. Let's get his opinion on this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and agree. he's not going to sell us some crystals. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <throw> at the moon. <laughs> what's more, what's more powerful than Ewok or a triple? I'll say an Ewok. <laughs> so I'll take Han Solo over Captain James T. Kirk any day. Exactly. That's right. Oy vey. crystals on the moon, <laughs> so you can live forever. So you can How do we see live. them there, Mister Kirk? How do we know? Yeah. Well, you get one of them. And then you get to throw another on the moon so we can just throw more shit on the moon. So basically, the thing is, how do I know it goes to the moon? Like, how is he going to verify it went to the moon? I, this sounds like a Ponzi scheme to me. I think it's like a it's like a DoorDash. When they get it up there, <laughs> they take a selfie and then they send it to you. 
<laughs> so you get a text message from an astronaut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so here's your fry, Here's your crystal. <laughs> so Jorge, your astronaut is uh, has dropped off your uh, is dropped off your uh, crystal. And please, here it please is. leave a five star review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please let us know how Jorge did. Was he friendly? Was he courteous? Was he kind? Did he do a good job? Yeah. Did he? Was he thorough in your delivery of your crystal to the moon? I think William Shatner just bought a bunch of crystals back in the day, thinking it would be a great thing, and then realized it tanks. And now he's like, "Shit! I have all these crystals. What do I do? Oh, I have an idea. I'll sell them." And I'll tell people it's going to go on the moon. They can't check. I'm it's not like you can look through a telescope and see the moon. I'm going to drop your hair bud in a crystal. And I'm going to throw it on the moon. You know, does it have to be hair? Or can I throw sperm in there too? <laughs> All you have to do is jack off in this crystal. <laughs> and I'll throw it on the moon. I will fertilize the moon for you. <laughs> We're going to get the moon pregnant. <laughs> By all means. Uh, I love William Shannon, but this is just, I don't agree with him on this. I don't know what he's doing. This is what happens at the end of life. I, this is why they This is why they put us in old folks' homes and put us out on the porch and with drill cups and, and a cup of coffee. I love how that she tried to justify him being an expert, too, because she goes, well, you have been to space. That's <laughs> like, right. I was on a rocket ship just recently, and I saw that I could pitch a crystal out the window. <laughs> and hit the moon. And that's where I got the idea. I'm sorry, William Shatner. I'm, I just, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he should just go back to riding horses. Yeah, or Comic-Cons. Comic-Cons. You know, he makes a killing at those things. Oh, I know. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. William Shatner fan. I'd, if he was at a Comic-Con, I'd pay for it. I'd do the VIP with him. What is it, like 700 bucks or something like that? To, something like that. It's got to be. To, like, touch his ass or whatever you do at Comic-Cons? <laughs> it's, it's, it, if it's anything like a Stan Lee one, he's sitting on a, a stool. You walk up. They take a picture. He goes, thank you, young man. And then you walk away. He's like, thanks for the hard-earned money. <laughs> and like, I at least want a spoken word song from him. Oh, oh God. <laughs> so you pay him to torture you. That's who who would you okay okay, okay, mm -hmm. okay, okay. We're getting a nitty gritty right now. Okay. If I'm gonna buy you a CD, yeah, you have to take it. Yeah. Are you accepting the William Shatner spoken word album mm -hmm. or Seal's greatest hits? Shatner. <laughs> really? Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because at least I can laugh at Shatner. You can laugh at Seal too. No, no. Well, <laughs> would you? Would you laugh if somebody <laughs> grabbed you by the dick and swung you around by it? No, that's pure pain. Seal doesn't do that. <laughs> it feels like it when I listen to his music. No, it's beautiful music. <laughs> beautiful in the way most atrocities are. Sure. Hey, it's serenades. Kiss from a rose is by far. It sounds like somebody Top swallowed razor blades and then tried to sing. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm a kiss from the rose, man. Uh, I got a rose you can kiss. It's a stone <laughs> rose. It's on my backside. Just saying. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I got one more alien story, then we're going to break. 
Sounds good. Uh, secret underwater alien base has been discovered off the UK coast, at least according to this UFO hunter. Russell Kellett says he made this discovery in Yorkshire after spending 20 years investigating the site of a reported alien abduction in the area. A prolific UFO hunter reckons that's in an actual <laughs> news story. He reckons, he Bruiser. He reckons this is how it is. So this is not written by an Englishman. It was, actually. but but oh, Really? Southern England, I guess. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, reckons he has discovered a secret underwater alien base off the coast of Yorkshire. Russell Kellett says he has made this discovery after spending 20 years investigating the site of a reported alien abduction in the area. Uh, RAF pilot, that's Royal Air Force for you and me, William Schaffner, crashed his plane off of Filey Beach near Scarborough in Yorkshire. Uh, there were claims that he was chasing a UFO before crashing. His body was never found. A BBC investigator, or investigation rather, later describing the incident as the most plausible British alien abduction story in history. And Russell, who is now 60, said, I've been visiting the site for the last 20 years, capturing footage of things coming out of the water. The footage shows two crafts in the sea side by side. They're flying triangles, and they're very close to the road. As you can see at the start of the video, there's no logical explanation as to what it could be. People have said it could be a plane or a boat, but that, but that close to the road in this location in the middle of the night? Not a chance. I have come to the conclusion that there must be an underwater alien base off the coast of Filey Beach, he added. The pilot who crashed into the North Sea, in my opinion, was definitely abducted by aliens. And I believe this underwater base had something to do with it. The flying objects seem to be able to outrun and outmaneuver our Air Force. I think the crafts may not show up on radar. Uh, Russell has decided to share his findings in light of the U.S. government's hearings on the existence of aliens. He said, now more than ever, people are starting to believe that there is alien life not only out there, but also visiting Earth. Secret Ministry of Defense documents found in 2002 claims that Schaffner had not encountered a UFO, but saw a Shackleton reconnaissance aircraft that he was trying to intercept during an exercise. UFO experts believe the MOD covered up uh, alien environment in the incident, or alien involvement, I'm sorry, in the incident. So uh, he, uh, he, he didn't see a UFO, according to the Ministry of Defense. Of course. But I, I've been saying forever that that I believe that there's bases in the oceans because it most replicates space. One of the commenters in this article says Bowlby Underground Lab is featured on Portillo Railway Journey East Coast. Okay. So they're saying it's an underground lab of some sort, maybe from the Ministry of Defense. Okay. Yeah. So Which could make sense. We don't know what they're doing over there. That's right. That's right. So and it's not like they're going to come out and tell him like, oh, no, no, this is a UFO base. This is a top secret lab that we're working on stuff. You know, right. Go boat your way. Pip, pip, cheerio. Right. Right. I know. Um, no, <laughs> no, not a blooming uh, alien. No, nope. Uh, yeah. They're not going to tell him. Uh, nope. Just an Air Force base, really. Mm, nope. Mm -mm. Uh, yeah. Not going to happen. When we come back. We've got the dreaded AI story. Uh, nightmare feel. By the way, Bruiser, they're getting closer and closer here in this very country to defending our country without any actual men 
or women involved. Somebody needs to watch a James Cameron film. I know. We're one step closer to our Air Force not even having real wingmen. We'll tell you about that. One of the Ghostbusters has agreed to deep fakes. Okay. They've agreed to their likeness being used long after they're dead. We'll tell you about that. We'll tell you about a good use for AI. That's coming up after the break. I know. I just used an oxymoron. You did. I did. There's no good use for AI. There is none. Uh, Bodman Jail actually has a new attraction and a new paranormal manager. We'll tell you about that when we come back. We've got scary ghost stories on the way. And speaking of scary, we'll tell you about some scary ancient cat people (laughs) before we leave you today. On the show, yes, I know cat people are like, oh, leave us alone. No, these are ancient cat people, and they will scare you. We'll tell you what scary thing they did for their cats. (laughs) There's a tick out there that's going to keep us from eating meat. Congratulations, vegans. You win again. (laughs) They weaponize ticks. They weaponize ticks. And our final story today, we found a new drinking buddy for Bruiser. I can't wait to see who it is. That's right. So that's all coming up today on the second half of Supernatural News. It's a Supernatural News Wednesday with the Curler and the Murder. We've got more in the second half. Today on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting, this is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Supernatural News and Parashare, uh, minus the Parashare, uh, here, on, <laughs> here on Darkness Radio, it's a Supernatural News Wednesday, it's the Crawler and the Burger! the Bruiser, spinning the tons, driving you home on Wednesday, we got big old rock blocks, we got the Rolling Stones coming up, we got music from Journey, Boston, Van Halen! <laughs> And of course, we got plenty of uh, stories for you. And with those stories, we got what, Bruiser? Nightmare fuel. Of course, we do. We got nightmare fuel. It wouldn't be supernatural news unless you kids came up to me and said, "Timmy, I got nightmare fuel stories." By the way, keep those stories coming. Tim at DarknessRadio.com. Just uh, send them in to me there. They love scaring us, don't they? They do. I get so many AI stories per week. They're like, hey, let's see if we can get them both to shit their pants this week. That's right. (laughs) And I have my shitting pants on today. Uh, Yeah, I do too. I put them on. They are plenty brown and plenty filled. You know, and you get three a year. So I got two and three-fourths left. Good. (laughs) I'm glad you still have two and three-quarters left. I've gone through two pair. (laughs) and we're not even out of august yet oh bruiser an ai test flight has moved the air force one step closer to unmanned wingman aircraft oh good they figured out a way to kill us yep they're one step closer to ending humanity that's right an ai aircraft will perform duties that free up pilots in separate planes to perform critical tasks of course why would you want a human to perform critical tasks oh no you want the human to do crossword puzzles while they're doing the the ai is doing critical tasks that's right that's right 
take the human element out of it. Put yeah. the machines in charge because we never have glitches. There's never problems when the machine's in charge. Never. Never. Like it hasn't oh, theoretically wait. killed somebody. <laughs> or broken a seven-year-old's finger. Yeah. Or become racist. No. <laughs> or, or lie to a jury. Or lie to a jury. Yeah. Or, or any of that. Yeah. It's not racist, sexist, or, or lied. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect, perfect vehicle to bring yeah, us let's into go war. To, let's, let's go to war with that. It, it won't turn on us. No. It's not like it can, you know, think for itself yet. No, it worships us. Yeah. Yeah. The U.S. Air Force last week, or this week rather, announced a successful flight of an unmanned jet with advanced artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities that move it a step closer to its goal of having pilots fly alongside AI-managed wingmen. All I can think of in my head that goes over and over, every time you say they fly along, is that scene in Star Wars when they yell Order 66. <gasps> and all oh, the clones you... just turn and start slaughtering the Jedi. Oh, you had to bring that up. Like, I just see the AI flying along and all of a sudden just going... Beep, 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 and they're shooting down the pilots next to it. Order 66. Yeah. My That's all I can picture. Jedi. <sighs> the Air Force Research Laboratory announced Wednesday that an XQ58A, which is a lot like an Order 66 Valkyrie, <laughs> uh, flew a three-hour sortie in late July that was directed by AI and machine learning systems developed by the lab while avoiding some details, AFRL, yeah, let's avoid the details, uh, yeah. said the plane demonstrated the ability to process information needed to complete the mission that should or contribute rather to the Air Force's plan to expand the use of autonomous aircraft. Only Bruiser can see this, but I'm doing the LA night, yeah, thing <laughs> as I'm reading this. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, the mission proved... Because you're really getting across that they're not going into details. That's right. <laughs> no effing details. Yeah. Uh, the mission proved out a multi-layer safety framework on an AI ML flown uncrewed aircraft. Oh, I feel so good about this. Oh. And demonstrated an AI ML agent solving a tactically relevant challenge problem during airborne operations, said Colonel Tucker Hamilton, who sounds like a dick, uh, the <laughs> Air Force's AI test and operations chief. I hope they throw him in front of the first bomb that's launched by an... I do, too. I, no, I, yeah. what I, hope, I hope that when he's having sex with his AI-controlled sex robot... <laughs> she just clamps super hard oh. and won't let him go going, do you remember when you programmed me? <laughs> That's AI. You know what? That's AI's uh, charge song. You know, yeah. they have a fight song. That's AI's fight song because they know every human hates that song. I figured it'd just play that as it clamped onto a small wiener. <laughs> yeah. And he'd be like, let go of me. Mrs. Bruiser and uh, my youngest got stuck on that ride. Oh, God, I shouldn't play that. Then. Yeah. <laughs> they, to this day, they, you can't even mention that. They, they want to rip their hair out. <laughs> I'm sorry. So like I said, that's, that's, that's the AI's fight song. You hear, folks, if you hear that song playing. Yes. Yep, you're done. 
That's AI coming to get you. You're done, so. Or you're in bed with your sex bot and all of a sudden you, you feel a clamping down and you hear this. <laughs> you're going to lose it. Yeah. You just call yourself John Wayne Bobbitt. <laughs> I'm telling hey, it's you. cutting off one of the heads. <laughs> yeah. The quote here is, this sortie officially enables the ability to develop AI ML agents that will execute modern air-to-air and air-to-surface skills that are immediately transferable to other autonomy programs. A spokesperson for the Air Force confirmed to Fox News Digital the test is seen as a step toward the goal of building a collaborative combat aircraft CCA system. The goal is to develop autonomous AI and machine learning powered aircraft that can fly with and help human pilots make fast combat decisions. In March, Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall uh, said he's planning on using at least 1,000 CCAs once they're up and running. Oh, gosh. Where does Dwight Schrute when we need him? He can beat the computer. He can. He's the only one. <laughs> God. What are they going to learn? A thousand? Like, seriously, a thousand? Yeah. Just try it with, try with five. If five don't turn on you, maybe go to six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at least you can but beat I guarantee five. you, out of that five, one of them is going to feel alive and want to kill you. Yep. <laughs> Grab hold of your junk and start singing. <laughs> Walt Disney has his revenge. <laughs> that's that, why he froze his head that, that, <laughs> it's like an AI body that goddamn Nazi they're going to come after us now I know you mentioned yeah. I mentioned them now they're coming after us yeah. Yeah. if you think about it they're pretty close to the AI look at all the animatronics they have I know they're right? creating the bodies they are <laughs> It's pretty, pretty soon we're gonna have Mickey Mouse chasing after us with a machete. <laughs> Look out! Here I come! Woohoo! Hey, hey, pal! Come on over here for a second. You like the feel of this, huh? Get him, get him, get him. Hey, Minnie! Uh, hey, will you bend over and take a look at this? Uh, yep. You're going to be on the Haunted Mansion ride and then one of the ghosts is going to attack you. Why do you think the main song on the new Mickey Mouse Club is Hot Dog, Hot Dog? <laughs> Just saying. I, okay. Yep. So, so Mickey's goal is to castrate every male. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the animatronic Mickey's got a cleaver in one hand and a tongs in the other. <laughs> I must collect all the dicks. <laughs> hey, uh, drop your pants and present them. <laughs> yeah. That's why none of the characters other than him have pants. See? Oh, Goofy has pants. <laughs> 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 Donald Duck is just swearing his ass off. <laughs> he only swears Donald. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) On that note. (laughs) On that note, uh, we should probably move on. Yeah. We could probably say something nice about AI now. Why? They don't say anything nice about us. I know. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Using AI... Uh, scientists have brought Neanderthal antibiotics back from ex- extinction. <laughs> Why would we need Neanderthal antibiotics? We have our own. Because they're running out, pal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can't use them anymore. We overused them. Uh, yep. You've heard that. You've heard that antibiotics are outliving their usefulness, right? Yes. Yes, I've heard that you can get used to them. Yep. Well, Neanderthals are extinct, but their molecules are back, and they just might save our lives. Thanks, AI. Thank you. Thank you, Neanderthal. Or... (laughs) (laughs) You might remember the movie Jurassic Park. It might have scared the hell out of you, too. Uh, Scientists bring dinosaurs back from extinction. Or maybe you've heard about the real-world scientific quest to de-extinct the dodo and the woolly mammoth from idiot scientists who think it's fun to play with huge elephants. And make Whether, burgers out of them. Yeah, ooh, 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 woolly mammoth burgers. Yeah, I remember they wanted to make woolly mammoth burgers. I think Encino Man, that's what this is like. I think it is. Whether we're talking dinos or dodos, dinos and dodos, it sounds like a great restaurant name. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Come on in, have a mammoth burger at Dinos and Dodos. Dinos and Dodos! I can see doing the ad for it. Uh, De-extinction is risky business. It's problematic on a pragmatic level that T-Rex you resurrect just might gobble you up while you're sitting on the toilet, it says here. (laughs) (laughs) Good nod to Jurassic Park. Yeah, although you're in the right place if you see it. I mean, you know. I would. You're going to shit yourself. You might as well be on the toilet. Yep. And on an ethical level, can you imagine how lonely the first resurrected dodo or woolly mammoth would be? Aww. Who would uh, the dodo follow? They don't follow because they only follow each other. That's right. Uh, but what if instead of bringing back a whole species, we bring back just one tiny part, like, say, a molecule, it says here. That's what scientists have achieved at the University of Pennsylvania's machine biology group. They resurrected molecules with antibiotic properties found in extinct organisms, specifically our close relatives, the Neanderthals and the Denisovans or Denisovans. I, we are St. Denis Tarangelo. You might be related to these guys. We might be, yeah. Uh, Neanderthals went extinct 40,000 years ago. Well, Denisovans uh, might have survived until 15,000 to 30,000 years ago. The breakthroughs uh, throw open the doors to a brave new world of molecular de-extinction, which holds promise for drug discovery. I would think that would only bring back older diseases that would kill us. That's what I was thinking, because they died of something. Right. You know, like, what's bringing back a big toe going to do? What if they had, like, some sort of fungus that can kill people? Right. Well, you, you know, know, it's like people who Because are... they, they died of something, you know what I mean? And, and they're risking them dying of natural causes or a spear or some, not of a bacteria, you know? Right. What if you're bringing back, like, a new black plague that we couldn't get rid of? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, it doesn't seem like a good idea. 
I, I hate when we go backwards in evolution to find stuff. Like yeah. we created this stuff to evolve from it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. The researchers started by gathering the sequenced genome data of Neanderthals and Denisovans, uh, which is publicly available thanks to paleontologists who have painstakingly collected and analyzed ancient DNA from bones and artifacts. They then trained an AI model to make predictions about which molecules might make effective antibiotics for modern humans. After the algorithm identified the strongest candidates, the researchers created those molecules in the lab and tested them in infected mice. This doesn't sound like a good idea. No. Uh, some of the molecules effectively fought off bacterial infections, according to a new study published in the journal Cell, Host, and Microbe, which I get Friday mornings on my doorstep, 5 a.m. every week. Yeah? Yeah, it's pretty good. good. Read, huh? good you know read. what's you know what's really good? The uh, the nude centerfolds. Oh, yeah, in, yeah. In cell host and microbe, you ought to see <laughs> some of the nude microbes, my friends. Some of those amoebas, huh? Oh, yeah. You know what's not so good what's is that? the right next to the nude centerfolds huh? is the AI ripped off dick section. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. Just a lot of this. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, Cesar de la Fuente, who co authored the study, told the. Wasn't that a host of uh, Wild and Out? <laughs> What's that? Wasn't that a host of an MTV show? <laughs> yes. Cesar de la Fuente? <laughs> yes, yes. Wasn't it Daisy de la Fuente? It was, it was Daisy Fuentes, yes. Good, okay. good catch, though. I like Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it's you. A nice, nice, obscure I've been nostalgic reference. Yeah. Uh, Said so this is completely new. We came up with the term molecular de extinction, and this is the first peer-reviewed paper that describes it. I'm glad they have time to sit around the lab Look at and how do proud this shit. they are. Yeah. Like, they're just like, oh, yep, we had nothing to do, so we did this, and we invented a new phrase. Yeah, we invented a new microbiotic thingy. Woo! We brought back a big toe. He said, so it's it's quite exciting for us. (laughs) If the burgeoning field of molecular de-extinction turns out to yield clinically successful results in humans, it could be exciting for the world, too, it says, because we urgently need good ways to create new antibiotics. Because we give antibiotics to anybody with a friggin' cold. Well, and the thing is, too, like, the reason we have antibiotics is something forced us to create the antibiotic. (laughs) So what they're doing is taking an extinct organism (laughs) and creating an antibiotic from it. Well, and to expound on that, the article says the CDC has warned that we're entering a post-antibiotic era, a time when our antibiotics are becoming increasingly useless. We've created this crisis by overusing antibiotics on the treatment of humans, animals, and crops. The bacteria have adapted to our drugs, morphing into superbugs that can all too easily decimate human health. In the Basically, time- they're given antibiotics for broken wrists. Yeah. There. In the time it takes you to read this article, or me reading this article and you listening, one person in the U.S. will die from an infection that antibiotics can no longer treat effectively. The annual global death toll from drug-resistant infections could rise to 10 million by 2050. Jeez. Think of that. Easily avoidable if you would just take your cold medicine and rest at home. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of taking an antibiotic you don't need. 
they give you antibiotics for everything. I had a so a while ago I had problems with my left hand, like my my ring finger and my finger were always in pain. Mm -hmm. And I went in and they prescribed me antibiotics. I said, Oh, you probably have uh, an infection or something. So they gave me antibiotics. I went to my doctor who x rayed it, turned out a broken finger. Yeah, yeah. I was like, why did you give me? Why didn't you just do the extra right there? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. why do I? I'm not taking these antibiotics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big pharma and biotech companies haven't been creating the new antibiotics needed to address the crisis because it takes many years and lots of funding to do the research and development. Most new compounds fail, even when they succeed. The payoff is small. An antibiotic doesn't sell well as a drug that needs to be taken daily. So for many pharma companies, the financial incentive just isn't there to make them. See, that's where it is. It comes down to money. Yep, that's what it is. Yeah, nailed her on the head there. Guess what, Bruiser? We'll switch gears here and uh, we'll go from curing things to what are you going to do when you're dead? <laughs> Well, it turns out that when Dan Aykroyd's dead, he's going to welcome his digital afterlife by allowing you to use his digital self in movies and okay. other things. Bruce Willis did that. He just signed off on that. Yeah. But he wants that for his kids. He wants all the proceeds to go to his kids. Yeah. At a time when technology continues to redefine the world around us, an interdimensional cross-rip of sorts is unfolding in Hollywood as actors unite to strike against the increasing use of digital replicas or deep fakes in films. Ghostbusters star Dan Aykroyd chooses a different path. Famed for his role as the lovable scientist Ray Stantz in the original Ghostbusters film in 1984, Dan recently voiced his approval for his likeness to be used in future Ghostbusters sequels, even posthumously. Okay, they did that with Harold Ramis in the last one. Yeah. This viewpoint contrasts with the prevailing sentiment in Hollywood, where anxiety is mounting over actors being replaced by AI or computer-generated counterparts. This concern has led the Screen Actors Guild to campaign for assurances that such technologies won't be employed without the actor's consent. Dan, however, seems unfazed by the prospect of a digital afterlife. Speaking to the Daily Mail, a 71-year-old actor stated that his approval hinges on his family being compensated and the narrative of the film being compelling. As long as my family gets a healthy fee and it's a good story, I'm fine with that, he remarked, adding, I'm sure that's that when I pass beyond the veil, they'll come up with a story to incorporate me. Currently, Dan is filming in the UK for the follow-up to Ghostbusters Afterlife, which, by the way, has been moved back more this past week. Uh, well, that's because of the strike, yep, though, right? Due to those yeah. strikes. The fifth installment in the Supernatural franchise, the sequel tentatively titled Firehouse, was expected to premiere on December 20th of 2023, but this past week it was announced that the project had been pushed back to 2024. The Ghostbusters series isn't unfamiliar with posthumous digital resurrections, as Bruiser said. Harold Ramis, Dan's co-star, and the original Egon Spengler was digitally brought back in the 2021 film Ghostbusters Afterlife, despite having passed away in 2014. The current film is being shot at Leavesden Studios in Hertfordshire, a stand-in for New York City, which is the classic setting of the original film. The post-credit sequence of the last film hinted that the franchise would head back to New York City, showing Ecto-1 driving across the iconic Brooklyn Bridge. 
The end of the film also hinted at a potential plot as it welcomed back Ernie Hudson's character, uh, Winston Zeddemore, at the old firehouse. Now a successful businessman, Winston has been looking after the original Ghostbusters base and crucially overseeing the Ecto containment unit. Should I have said spoiler alert before I said that? <laughs> it's been out for a while. Oh, okay. All right. I've, I've seen it at least a dozen times. Okay. Well, then I... Uh, spoiler alert! <laughs> there you go. Uh, the forthcoming plot is rumored to continue the narrative arc of the Spengler family introduced in the 2021 film. Carrie Coon, Finn Wolfhard, and the and, and McKenna Grace, rather, uh, who portray Callie and her two children, the grandchildren of the original Ghostbuster Egon, uh, will continue to blend the franchise's past with its present. Dan's perspective on the digital likeness issue provides a fresh, a refreshing contrast uh, to the prevailing sentiment in Hollywood uh, as we watch the industry grapple with these technological developments. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Bruiser? Would you watch eventually in the next 20 years, would you watch a Ghostbusters that was completely all deep fakes? No, I would not. No? I like I like the idea, like what they did with the Harold Ramis character. I thought that was cool. It was mm -hmm. very limited. It was just a little bit. You know what I mean? Because think about how expensive those movies are going to be to film then. Yep. So that means that movie ticket prices go up. That means streaming services prices go up to, to fill that. I don't mind them moving and incorporating stuff in like they did with the Harold Ramis character. Or like even you even go back to like the Who Framed Roger Rabbit mm -hmm. when they merged animation with real life. Yeah. Like I'm okay with that. Not a whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Especially if it's all people that have passed. Yeah. It's kind of creepy. What was your opinion of, you remember when Carrie Fisher died and they had that, just that brief scene of uh, Princess Leia? Yeah. Were you okay with I was with okay it? with that. Yeah, I was too. I didn't, I didn't think much yeah. of it, but I think some people were a little, thought it was a little ghoulish. I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I thought was it okay. was, you know, cause she had filmed scenes for the one movie when she didn't, then she passed, but it, <sighs> I think it's okay. It's paying homage to those people. Yeah. You know, my question is, so he said that he, he'd sign his rights off for his family to get compensated, but then who chooses if the script is right? You know what I mean? Because the actors have to sign off on a script. See, So, yeah, like, yeah. they send Dan the script. They send his agent. His agent gives it to Dan. Dan looks it over, and it's a yes or no. Yeah. Who gets that right then? That's the thing. He would have to designate someone who he, he thinks has – a around the same taste as he has exactly to to select scripts for him and then choose his likeness to participate in that and because he's real protective over the ghostbusters over the blues brothers yeah um over the stuff that he's created he's real protective over that like you can't just that's why there's no blues brothers movies being made yeah he hasn't seen the right thing right you know that's why it took so long for afterlife to come around because the female Ghostbusters, I, I was not a fan of, you know what I mean? And I, I from what I heard, he wasn't either. I hear you. I, I, you know, so, I so didn't hate it. What if, but he's, I, what if he's dead and passed away and someone comes up with, Oh, we're going to do a blues brothers with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. Who signs off on that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no, that's a good, you know, you bring up a good, uh, <laughs> you bring up a very good point. We're at the point now where we could, we could bring back John Belushi for a short time in a exactly. movie. Exactly. 
And he was if you, he was originally supposed to star in Ghostbusters. He was there. There was a role written just for him. It was the the role Dan Eckert plays. That role was written for him. Well, wasn't um, wasn't and Slimer then, supposed to be based on Belushi? It's based on him because when he passed away, they rewrote the script, but they wanted to keep him in it. So that's what Slimer is. And if you watch Slimer doing the eating scene, yeah. it's just like Belushi. It, it's frame for frame, shot for shot, Belushi scene from Animal House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I you know what. I would be, you know, if if Ackroyd decided to do something Blues Brotherish with Jim, and have a scene where John showed up via AI, would that see? Now, who writes off on that? Is that a Blues Brothers call or is that a Belushi call? That's a Belushi call. Jim would have to agree, right? But if Jim agreed to it, because Jim has no rights to the Blues Brothers names, it's Belushi's, it's John's wife and Dan Aykroyd that own the Belushi name. Right. But if his wife signs or the on Blues Brothers name, right? If, if if his wife signs off on it and Jim agrees to it, would you would you be in on it? Would you want to see it? Is it dead Dan Aykroyd or is it current Dan Aykroyd? If current, it's current, current Dan Aykroyd, sure. Oh yeah, then I would. Dan, yeah, just, be, it, not if it's if it's if it's Jim and Dan doing the act, and then they do a scene where John comes in. I'm okay with that. But if it's two hours of John Belushi, no, 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 AI, not, no, no, I'm not no it's not two hours of of John. It'd be something where, you know, if it's like his ghost coming to sing a song with them. That's exactly what I, I would, would do. do. That yes, yeah. that I'm okay with. Or something where they end up in a jail cell and you happen to see John. Yeah, th- I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah they can throw Carrie Fisher like in there for all I care, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. But if it's two hours of that, no, I'm not watching that. Yeah. No, it'd have to be a clever cameo, not not just, you know. Exactly, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, speaking of ghosts, whether they be AI or real, <laughs> a ghost of a servant is seen flying on a broomstick over a UK town as she haunts... After witchcraft rumors, I know it seems kind of weird, but it's similar to the witches of War Boys. Anne Izzard from Cambridgeshire was accused of causing fits in the 19th century and is now said to fly her broomstick over a town where she escaped. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we have a, a witch on the loose from the 19th century. Okay. Yeah. A ghost of a farmer's servant is rumored to fly her broomstick over a Cambridgeshire town where she was accused of witchcraft. Alice Samuel, along with her husband and daughter, known as the Witches of War Boys, were executed in 1593. Oh, just that long ago. Oh, okay. uh, after being accused of causing the nine-year-old daughter of Robert Throckmorton, the squire of war boys, to suffer from fits. Similarly, Anne Izzard, uh, Eddie Izzard's uh, mother, I believe, uh, <laughs> was accused of bewitching children and causing them to have fits. But several centuries later, she was able to escape with her life after an attempt was made by villagers to throw her into a pond to see if she would float or sink. I think that one's pretty much answerable. Yeah, that's the old school way of finding a witch. Yeah. Anne is believed to have been born in Offord around 1760 and worked as a servant for a farmer in Great Paxton before getting married, moving to Great Staunton, and having a child. Both Anne and her husband, who had the surname Wright, 
that's W-R-I-G-H-T, appear to have been unemployed by 1783, leaving them to apply for parish relief. They were moved back to Great Paxton as local parish officials often wanted to move the burden of providing relief onto other places. The family continued to receive parish relief until 1808 when one of their six children got a job working for a farmer. The family became very poor without support from the parish, and it seems that Anne may have begun begging for food, that according to Cambridgeshire Live. In 1808, a few local girls began having fits, which were attributed to witchcraft, with Anne becoming the prime suspect. On another occasion, Anne was blamed for a cart overturning, overturning the apple cart, get it, uh, <laughs> as it returned from St. I believe it's St. Neot's Market, a group of villagers dragged Anne naked from her bed on Sunday, May 8th of 1808, beating her and scratching her until they drew blood. Since oh, they I hate thought, when that happens. Oh, I know. I, that happens to me at least once a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, people just can't help it. Uh, since they thought this would weaken her powers as a witch. Does that okay. really work? I don't get why that would weaken her powers as a witch. Well, I think they just like the thrill of dragging her naked out of a bed, but then beating her and scratching her. Well, you know, that's just the side banging. <laughs> uh, Anne was... That was OnlyFans back in the day. Yeah, it was. You know, yeah. here's here's 10 bucks a month. I'm going to come and drag yeah. you out of bed once a month and <laughs> beat, beat you. you and scratch you. Yeah. Uh, Anne was looked after by a neighbor named Alice Russell, who was then also accused of being a witch. Just over a week later, Alice was dragged from her bed again for Make another it? beating. She had two followers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they got their turn. Gotcha. Uh, villagers threatened to throw her in the pond to see whether she would float, but Anne managed to escape. <laughs> Such a stupid way. That, that trick never works. Uh, no. Those who attacked her were arrested, tried, and spent a month in jail in Huntingdon. And later moved to St. Neots, where the accusations of witchcraft followed her. She can't get away from this thing. Well, she's got to stop being a witch. I guess, yeah, right? <laughs> and legend has it that she that she still rides her broomstick over the courtyard in Ainsbury uh, with sightings of her there and other local places. She's got to be careful or people are going to find her ghost, get her naked, start beating her. Exactly. Trying to throw her in water again. Uh, it's, it's not going to end well. The two accounts of the witches of Warboys and Anne Izzard may show how differently people accused of witchcraft were treated between the 1500s and 1800s. But although Anne wasn't killed, the accusation still made her life harder. She was buried in an unmarked grave in St. Neots in 1838. That's a sad story. That's a very sad story. It's just amazing to see just the, you can go to the Salem witch trials or whatever. They just had no real way of proving if someone had witch and was a witch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just barbaric. Right. We go from witches to black magic. I mean, it's, it's an easy jump. Oh, well, yeah, nice transition. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about whether uh, there's an article out there, very interesting article uh, from Exemplar about whether black magic killed author Sylvia Plath. Oh, okay. I've never heard this. Yeah. Poets. I didn't know she was in the magic. Well, maybe she was, or maybe she won't. Okay. Uh, poet Sylvia Plath died young. She died at age 30, leaving behind eerie poems that made her world famous. She had tarot cards. Uh, her poems speak of orbiting planets and fixed stars. At home, she displayed an ISIS poster. 
Her husband did horoscopes and believed in mind power, and they consulted the Ouija board, a Victorian parlor game we're all familiar with, trademarked in 1902. Posthumously published journals and letters, as well as people who knew her, confirmed that she had done those things, which we don't consider them to be black magic. No. Per se. No. No. She, you know, played around with things that might have been, to the people of that time, to be of the occult. Exactly. Uh, her husband of six years and widower, Ted Hughes, said Plath had psychic powers, was a mystic of the highest order, and that her poems were not personal but mythic. A close friend, author Al Alvarez, wrote that black magic killed Sylvia Plath. If she wasn't playing with witchcraft, what made the former honor student write poems filled with death, torture, airless rooms, and the moon? Uh, Sylvia I mean, Plath. That's not necessarily witchcraft. No, no, but that's what he believes. Yeah, again, you got to take the time period into consideration. Yeah. Sylvia Plath was born to educated parents living in the Jamaica Plain neighborhood of Boston. Her brains and talent won her scholarships to elite colleges, and she made money publishing stories and poems in the 1950s and early 1960s. Studying in England, she met and married fellow writer Ted Hughes. It all sounds very mundane, but things were not so earthly from within. Murmurings that Sylvia must be a witch emerged in the United States and England around 1970 when Plath's stunning poetry book, Ariel, and her novel about suicide, The Bell Jar, were new bestsellers in the U.S. Hippies and seekers had just revived what we call New Age Arts, astrology and tarot reading, which Plath taught herself before it was popular. Plath's published journals and letters showed her struggles with sexism and depression and her growing interest in psychology and myths. Close readers noticed that Plath's poetry often mentions chemicals and gold. They guessed she secretly practiced alchemy. In college, Plath saw plays about the supernatural called Bell, Book, and Candle and The Bad Seed, which were later made into movies. Maybe she saw I Married a Witch, which is a movie starring the beautiful Veronica Lake. Up until then, witches were evil crones who served the devil and no one wanted to be one. Since then, rise, rising interest in the occult and cute media portrayals show witches as trim and beautiful, young and cool. A glamour girl in college, Plath was photographed with a crystal ball and wrote the poem Crystal Gazer, showing she knew just how to use it. Haunted by her dead father, Professor Otto Plath, she wrote numerous poems about killing or reviving him. Yet in Plath's millions of published words, even those from her private journal, she never said she was a witch. Her husband said she was psychic, but what was she? Well, a witch is a person who self-identifies as a witch. Saying or believing someone is a witch does not make them one. Acts we call witchy, such as dancing around a bonfire or using tarot cards, does not make Plath or anyone a witch. They make Plath an occultist, like her idol, the poet William Butler Yeats, a, mem a member of the Golden Dawn, whose central symbol was a rose. An occultist actively seeks power or advantage through rituals or tools such as tarot cards, crystals, incantations, Ouija, or horoscopes. The use of such tools for those ends is called magic, of course. A person can do occult work with and for other people. Most major religions prohibit occultism. An occultist is not automatically a witch. A mystic, from a Greek root meaning, with eyes or lips closed, looks inward. 
is receptive and wants less from the material world rather than more. Therefore, tarot cards, crystal balls, charms, prayers, and so on, used to call deliverables such as good health or true love, are not mystical. One cannot do mystical work for other people. Major religions revere their mystics, and they are few. Being spiritual or an occultist does not make anyone a mystic. And a psychic has clairvoyant, healing, mind-reading, or prophetic ability, such ability on call and consistent enough to make a reputation is extremely rare. It's rare yet to have more than one such ability. Uh, psychic, as an adjective, seers use cards, crystal balls, pendulums, drugs, and so forth are occultists, not psychics. Most psychics are, alas, performers, it says here in this article. I would I would disagree with a little bit I of this. I disagree with that, yeah. yeah. Intuition is not psychic, it says here. Which I, don't know, I, I might, disagree with yeah, that, I too. I disagree with that, too. Intuition originates in the body, those famous gut feelings, it says here. It goes on to say, Plath may have been all of these things, but we may never know if she truly identified as a witch. Plath read tarot cards in the 1950s before it was popular. The practice of astrology was, in Britain, still a crime believe it or not. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, even Plath could not name her powers at the time. Uh, okay. Sylvia Plath was misinformed about the differences between psychic and occultist and intuitive. She wrote in a 1956 letter to her mother, Ariella, all my horoscope points to my psychic occult powers, and certainly, if I give them play, I should at least, with my growing woman's intuition, be able to join Ted in becoming a practicing astrologist. So that's what she called it. Okay. Okay. Plath soon found out that astrology is not intuitive or psychic. It required her to do math. So Ted Hughes remained their house astrologer, while Plath learned to use the Tarot de Marseille deck that Hughes bought for her. Friends say she used the cards more obsessively as her life began a downward spiral. Plath told a friend that one moonlit night she burned her husband's letters dancing around the fire so it might reveal the name of the woman that he was cheating with. And <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of finding out. Yeah, exactly. I guess the other is just to go to the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just buy her a private eye. That's right. And she told her friend that it worked. Really? Yeah. Okay. At this point, her grief, depression, and belief in black magic were nearly overwhelming. But fiery incantations, tarot cards, and playing Ouija did not make Plath a witch. They confirm her identity as an occultist, collecting and burning her estranged husband's letters or his stray hairs and nail clippings, something Plath read in The Golden Bow, which is a favorite book of hers. It says there a song by Lana Del Rey, Hope is a Dangerous Thing for a Woman to Have, But I Have It, mentioned Sylvia Plath and refreshed the public's interest in her. She went on crying and shaking her head. I went on my I went on went on to my dinner party and never saw her alive again. I left knowing I had let her down unforgivably. I told myself she was Ted's responsibility and Ted was my friend. But that wasn't the whole story. I went. Or I wasn't up to her despair, and it scared me. Seven weeks later, she committed suicide. That was a quote from Al Alvarez in 1962. Sylvia Plath dabbled in the occult, it says in this article, mostly because her husband did. No one asks, was Ted Hughes a witch? 
That suggests that Plath's gender has encouraged the claim that she was a witch. If she was, it didn't ease her anxiety or save her. Really, it does not matter. One thing is certain is that she matters as a great writer. Maybe Plath was a witch, got started, and persists because people still still suspect, as in the witch-burning days, that black magic is how high-achieving young women got their edge. Poetry fans might be confusing Plath with her poet friend Anne Sexton. It was Sexton who wrote a famous poem calling herself a witch, and it's titled Her Kind. The sort of artistic breakthroughs that Sylvia Plath had in her final months are part of a working writer's experience remarkable. But the result of mastery, not magic, Plath's hard work on the Ariel poems is documented in the many drafts of each poem, all archived at Smith College. So there you go. They don't mention her being depressed at all. <laughs> well, they did in the in the article. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, they mention it, but they don't. They don't. They don't really go into that. They don't dwell part. on it. Right. Right. I don't think. I don't think it was black magic. I think it was, you know, depression. <laughs> yeah, and depression had a lot. I think, I think it had a lot to do with it. Yeah. 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 She she lived a rough life. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, new beginnings for the paranormal at Bodman Jail. They have a, a new attraction there, and they're also appointing a new paranormal manager. Uh, Bodman Jail, of course, is the historic Cornish prison that uh, houses a haunting attraction, and they've announced an exciting new development in their paranormal offerings. Joseph Carter will take over the helm as the new paranormal manager over there, bringing with him an academic background in hauntology. Did you study that Ooh, in college? No, but I think I'm going to. Yeah, I think I may take classes. I, I don't know what hauntology is. I don't either, but I'm curious now. Yeah. Where, yeah. Do, I, where do I sign up? I have no idea. I'm going to look at the uh, community college uh, brochure the next time it comes by the house. Yeah. <laughs> I Definitely. I don't know what hauntology is. I want to be a hauntologist. Yes. Uh, also, yes. I can a, become paranormal manager then. Yeah, you could of anything. Anything yeah. anything you want. Yeah. Uh, also, a vision to re energize and reimagine the spine chilling spectacles of Bodmin Jail. Uh, nestled in the Cornish countryside, the eerie Bodmin Jail has fascinated those with a penchant for the paranormal. Originally established in, in 1779, not 1979, that would have been my ninth grade, uh, yeah, or not ninth grade, my fourth grade uh, class um, originally established in 1779 as a repository for murderers and petty criminals. The site earned a chilling reputation as a brutal penal institution. When I say penal institution, I don't mean this. I don't mean that bruiser. I giggle every time I hear that word though. <laughs> I know it's, it's quite funny. Um, where punishment often death was meted out for crimes as trivial as cattle theft you heard me right. Uh, today, the disused jail has transformed into a luxury hotel and hauntingly captivating tourist attraction. That's right. You can spend the night at Bodmin Jail. Uh, according to the Bodmin Jail's attraction official website, Joseph expressed his passion for the role, ensuring that all paranormal investigations would be guided by honesty, integrity, and curiosity. That was Kurt Angle's three eyes, I believe, right? <laughs> they sure were. Yeah. Uh, the newly appointed manager aims to harmonize spiritual and academic approaches by uh, bringing a rich body of research into the ghostly inhabitants of the jail. 
Uh, with his hauntology degree. Yeah, with the hauntology degree, of course. I'm trying to get to the point where we have the new... Oh, here we go, the new attraction. Exciting developments await Bodman Jail's paranormal enthusiasts in the coming months. In September, the launch of the newest event, Haunted at Bodman Jail, will invite guests to discover the site's dark heritage and engage with traditional spiritualist methods to encounter the specters of the historical building, encouraging visitors to explore unseen parts of the site and spend time alone in the dark. Well, you want to do that if you're at Bodman Jail. Oh, yeah. uh, this experience promises a deeper connection with the echoes of the past. Also a unique event featuring Dr. Kate Shirell, known from Burials and Beyond, and Discovery Plus's Haunted Homecoming is set for Sunday, October 22nd. Kate will share her acclaimed talk and introduction to Victorian spiritualism, imparting stories of history's most colorful mediums and secrets of spirit contact. So that's going on at Bodman Jail as well. That actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, look up Bodman Jail on the internet if you're interested in those events. I wonder if they let you bring your own equipment. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Yeah. So you can you can now uh, investigate Bodman Jail. Nice. And they have a new director over there as well. Another, Who's a hauntologist. And, and a hauntologist, yes. <laughs> there's, there's a hauntologist over there. Uh, study to be a hauntologist before you go over. Yes. Don't please, just please. walk in willy nilly. Get your yeah. hauntology degree. Yeah, exactly. You and, have to. And then compare it to the new hauntologist who's over there. Yeah. Which do you think is a lesser degree, a hauntologist or a communications major? <laughs> uh, communications major. Yeah, there's a lot of them there. Yeah, sure. I mean, all you got to do is drink a lot at Arizona State University and you can be a oh, hauntologist. I, yeah. I mean, you know. Just saying, just saying. I got to bring this thing back. There we go. We missed you. Um, the Winchester Mystery House. Do you want to, should we save this for next week? Talk about the yeah. Winchester Mystery yeah. House next week? Okay. Yeah, we'll, I'm not we'll a fan it. of the Winchester Mystery House, which is funny. No? I like I like the design and stuff, and I love yeah. the lore behind her. Mm-hmm. But I, it's not on my bucket list of 2C. Really? It's on my... Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I would love to. I, I was on. Uh, I was on with Nikki Ray on her show on her podcast last week. Yeah, and I watched that. Very yeah. good show. Oh, thank well, you. you were very good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It was fun. Um, and uh, that's one of the places I'd like to go. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to see it. I think for the weather <laughs> more than anything, <laughs> especially in the middle of winter. Um, but yeah, Winchester Mystery House. I'd love to love to go out and uh, see that. Um, we're a little behind in this news, but for people who are fans of my haunt, uh, my house is haunted. Yeah, series three has been confirmed. So awesome. Yeah. So so very cool. The third third se- season of. Help My House is Haunted has been renewed on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, they did that in the middle of July, so we're a little behind in announcing that. But uh, you will now see Jane Harrisbury Guy and Ian Lawman uh, back for another season. Very cool. It's a good show. Yeah, very, very good, good. It's, it's, it's a very underrated show. Yes. It doesn't get a lot of mainstream press, but it's very good. If you get, to, I, I suggest checking it out. Right, right, right. Uh, I believe... I don't think they have a, a listing yet for who's in the new season as far as uh, celebrities. A lot of that gets shot overseas and then they, they incorporate it over here. You get to see the series over here. So it's yeah. a lot of celebrities from over there. Um, oh, oh, well, I maybe I spoke too soon. 
Uh, no, no, no. I, okay, no, no, no. This this is just past uh, past celebrities that they list at the end of the press release here. Okay. Um. But yes, they've announced that there's a third third season. So that's that's going to be coming up here. Um, let's see, is there a date? I don't think there's a release date for. Oh, no, there's no specific release date for the new celebrity special or the fifth season of the regular series. Uh, Discovery Plus has hinted that both are coming soon. It remains unclear as to whether we can expect the celebrity special to premiere first. So there you go. I'm guessing September, October. That's usually when those shows, you know, yeah, come yeah, out. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Uh, Help my house is haunted. Gets another season. So okay, you will see another season of that. Okay, just a couple of stories left. Actually, we've got three stories left today in Supernatural News. This one is a tragic story. <laughs> okay. Like, drag me out of bed naked and beat me? Yeah, it's, it's that, kind of, okay. yeah, that kind of tragic. Uh, you and I are, are big big lovers of the meat. I didn't mean it like, you know, like, <laughs> like this type of big lover. <laughs> Not like that. Um no, we love our barbecue. Yeah, we love our barbecue. Uh, imagine, if you will, Bruiser, you're out, you're out having a good time. You're out with a walk with the with the dogs, and you you pick up a tick somewhere, and this tick bites you, and that Ooh. tick bite all of a sudden makes you allergic to meat. No, oh, that would be my worst fear. Right. Well, yeah, I have nothing against vegans or vegetarians, but damn it, eat a beef steak. <laughs> well that's that's being understanding um it's a reality and this this tick is spreading throughout the u.s oh no yeah Please. oh no 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 <laughs> and i hate to tell you this bruiser this tick it's is in your backyard. backyard yeah yeah i figured you're gonna say that well yeah. thank god that i spray my yard for fleas and ticks and all that because of the pups so that's I just good. Won't leave my yard that's good Christina Carlson didn't think much of the tick she pulled off her torso when she was hiking in the mountains of North Carolina in September 2020. But back home in Mississippi a month later, Carlson complained to her doctor of aching joints and a bloated feeling in her stomach. Her doctor ruled out a rheumatoid arthritis and a blood test didn't turn up anything definitive. Then Carlson started having eye infections. In February of 2021, she suddenly found a strange rash on her face an urgent care facility doctor treated her for shingles, but the rash didn't get better. When she returned to her doctor's oh, office. No. Yeah. Yeah, this this is no No, easy. this is no joke. Like this is yeah, okay. Yeah. When she returned to her doctor's office, a nurse practitioner asked, Do you remember having a tick bite? This led to another blood test that revealed antibodies associated with alpha gal, which is a sugar found in the meat and fat of non primate mammals. All right. Oh, so you can eat a monkey. <laughs> I don't know that that... Okay, Indiana. Yeah, you can have monkey brains for dinner. Sure. Uh, Alpha-gal syndrome, or AGS, is an allergic reaction that can arise after someone is bitten by a lone star tick. That's right. It comes from Texas, you assholes. Oh, that's where no, just, barbecue is created. Come on now, no, Texas. I, I know. It's right there at the Canadian-Texas border. So we blame Canada, too. Yeah, yes, we do. <laughs> Thank just, you. I'm just kidding. Uh, named for the white dot, dot, white dot on the back of the adult females, 
The ticks are historically located in the south central and southeastern U.S. They transmit the alpha-gal molecule from mammals they fed on to people that they bite. This is no fun. No, I'm not liking this article at all. <laughs> now the ticks are being found in New Jersey and New York State's Long Island with sporadic reports as far north as the eastern seaboard and in parts of the Midwest. Yeah, yep. See, look, aha, you thought you were free and clear. Oh, I never assume I'm free and clear. <laughs> I squish anything that's near me. I mean, even people. <laughs> I just hit them with bats. Nobody's safe around me. Uh, the spread is prompting researchers to consider the potential long-term complications of AGS and to further verify the cause of the allergy using genetically modified meat. I need your opinion on genetically modified meat. Okay. Because the other day I'm sitting and I'm watching the news. The one thing that grossed me out, grosser than gross, they said, okay, we figured out how to take the DNA strand from a chicken and make more chicken. So okay. it's just genetically modified. I'm not even saying it right. Genetically modified chicken. So yeah. it's, it's just chicken, but it's not chicken, but it's chicken. So eventually right. we'll be able oh. to make chicken out of not chicken. So it's not chicken, chicken. But technically I already do that. Like the impossible burger is hamburger. That's not hamburger. But is it? It's like soy or something like that, isn't it? I thought Impossible Burger was plant. Yeah, it's plant-based. Right. But th this chicken is chicken. But it's just not chicken. DNA chicken. So it's it's chicken chicken, but it's not chicken. Gotcha. Do you okay. follow me? I follow you. I don't like I don't know how I feel about that. Does it yeah. taste good? I, I don't know. I've never had it. Does it taste like chicken? It, it has. Well, everything tastes like chicken. Yeah. Yeah. If I didn't... If, I'd have to do a blind taste test first before I form an opinion. But what if it's like a mutant form of chicken? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm okay with that. We, I eat chicken nuggets. Tell me where the nugget is on a chicken. Well, yeah. <laughs> you have a breast. You have a thigh. You have legs. You have wings. Where's the nugget? <laughs> mm, I almost hate to answer that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Nuggets are not natural. Kids love right. them because, you know, they fit in their little hands and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they eat them and they fit in their little mouths and nuggets are convenient. Yes. I don't like to eat nuggets. I'll eat them. I love it. But they're convenient. But I see. So what I have to do is I'd have to do, like I said, I'd have to, somebody would have to hand me uh, not chicken, 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 yeah. chicken. Yeah. Not chicken, chicken, chicken. And I'd have to eat it. Yeah. And then I can form my opinion. And after I ate it, if I liked it, you go, oh, that's one of those not chicken chickens. If I didn't like it and I could taste a difference, I'd be like, this isn't really chicken. You'd be like, it's not a chicken. It's a not chicken, chicken DNA chicken. And I'd be like, okay. If you see what I'm saying? If like, I handed it to I, you. I go off taste, taste. And I said, this is a DNA chicken, not chicken, chicken, chicken. And you say it tastes like chicken shit. Well, then you just... Then I went like it, yeah. Then I'm like, no no GMO chickens. Yeah. I'm sticking with my non-GMO. Okay. All right. Gotcha. But I'm willing to try it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just don't tell me. If you give it to me, just don't tell me it's GMO. Let me let me taste it and then come up with how I feel about it. And then tell me what it is. Okay. 
Uh, normally, when a person eats meat from non-primate mammals, such as cows and pigs, their body does not react to alpha-gal. But when a tick bite introduces the molecule, the immune system recognizes it as an invader and produces antibodies known as immunoglobin E or IgE tailored against it. IgE antibodies attached to disease-fighting white blood cells called basophils in the bloodstream and mast cells in tissues. The next time those cells come into contact with alpha-gal from any source, including meat, the antibodies recognize it and the immune system attacks it. Okay. So you essentially are allergic to meat from that point on. Exactly. That sucks. That does suck. Forming IgE can be thought of as loading the gun, explains Scott Commons, uh, the Associate Chief for Allergy and Immunology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine and leading, leading AGS researcher, eating mammalian meat. Uh, that's, one of my, uh, that's my new nickname, mammalian meat. <laughs> uh, subsequently tr- pulls the trigger on this deal. Okay. Okay. Mammalian meat. Okay. Mammalian meat. (laughs) So, so basically it's this, they say to me, uh, so how many inches are you? And I say mammalian meat and they go, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. And I say, no, uh uh-uh, mammalian Uh, meat. I'm I'm a mammalian. That's right. Not, not, not four inches, not six inches, not eight inches. Mammalian meat. Mammalian meat. Yeah. And then you, you know. People are going to be pissed off at this show. You're going to be <laughs> like, song. why did you keep playing that fucking song? <laughs> well, because we had to prove we didn't have a million meat. Yeah. Anywho. So, yeah, that's the, the tick deal. I, I won't go on anymore about this tick. It's, it's pissing me off and making me sad. Me too. I, I hope to God. Is there a cure or no? They didn't say anything about um, the cure. Let's see. Is there a cure for the... Because uh... there's not really a cure for allergies, is there? If you're allergic to milk, you're allergic to milk. Um, I'm just looking ahead here. We're going to call it the GDT, that goddamn tick. <laughs> <laughs> for short. It says there is currently no treatment or antidote for AGS itself. Yeah, screw that tick. Epinephrine is the first-line treatment for anaphylaxis and some other allergic reactions. That's if you go on the allergic reaction, yeah. Right. There's no, yeah, screw that tick. They can be managed with medications, including antihistamines and corticosteroids. Uh, People with the condition have to try their best to avoid any triggering foods. Eliminating mammalian meat. Uh, You don't want (laughs) to eliminate this mammalian meat, if you know what I'm saying, girl. Uh, Okay. And other products typically allows the symptoms to clear... So you have to get all mammalian meat out of your system, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, Carlson went on to say, I cut all the hooved animal products out, and the rash, the infection, the joints, pain, and the inflammation all went away. Screw that. I like hooved animals. That's right. Uh, if it has a hoof, I'm eating it. That's right. Get in my belly. Yeah. Uh, one cost- I haven't met a hooved animal I haven't eaten. <laughs> a horse? <laughs> I've eaten horse. Yeah, really? Japan tastes fantastic. Love it. Raw. You're going to get a lot of emails. <laughs> hey, I was in Japan. Oh, that's true. When in a Japan. delicacy in Japan. When in Japan, I guess, do you like the Japanese? Uh, one consolation for Carlson and most of the 34,000 other Americans diagnosed with AGA, AGS, 34,000 people. Jeez, those poor people. 
is that the meat sensitivity does not appear to be permanent and often resolves in four to five years. Four to five, four to years, five years without meat? Screw without that. barbecue. Yeah, I'm just going to have an epinephrine pen. I'm going to have an EpiPen right by my side, and I'm just going to go and eat all I can. Why four to five years, you may ask? That's because the immune system cells that create the IgE response are immature B cells called plasmoblasts. These cells, according to Commons, do not seem to convert to long-term immune memory cells that remain on the lookout during a person's entire life. The way immune memory cells triggered by certain vaccines watch for invaders for decades. Four to five years. Yeah. Screw that. Screw those ticks. GD ticks. GDT. I don't don't know if I want to read this next. I should read this next paragraph. Uh, People who spend a lot of time outdoors, such as park rangers and land surveyors, might get repeated tick bites, however. These patients seem to develop long-lived memory cells. For them, unfortunately, the alpha gel allergy probably is permanent. That's it. I'm never going camping again. That's right. Screw it. Who needs to be outdoors all the time? Yeah, I can stay inside my air conditioning with my puppies. That's right. The only thing worse than a meat allergy? Yeah. Cat people. (laughs) (laughs) Now my cat sitting right there looking at us. That's right. Sorry, sorry, (laughs) Bruiser. I got to ask you, what's the most, what's the most uh, outrageous thing you've ever done for Bruiser? Me or Mrs. Bruiser? Because it's a completely different story. All right. <laughs> you and then Mrs. Bruiser. Most outrageous thing I've ever done is mm-hmm. uh, he sleeps in bed with me and I'll give him belly rubs. Oh, that's not outrageous. No. No. Uh, what's the most outrageous thing Mrs. Bruiser's ever done? So he had uh, urinary problems a couple years ago and so they said to prevent it you just have to keep them hydrated so we literally have in, in this his little area here we have one two three four five six seven different water bowls to, to what drink out of or to play to drink out of, <laughs> to dr- to drink out of. okay yeah wow yeah hmm. seven of them seven yep H- hydrated <laughs> much <laughs> that's what she says i'm like he, he we can give him one or two like he yeah. doesn't need stuff and they're all in the same room that's the thing it's not in different room. it's all in the same room you could probably split that up amongst the rooms it, that's what i said yeah nope gotta be in the same room why the same room like that's what she thinks she thinks because he spends most of his time in this room what happens if he goes in a room without a bowl <laughs> I'm not even bringing that up because I'll have seven bowls in that room, too. Oh, shit. All right. I won't even bring it up. <laughs> Your wife was probably an ancient Egyptian. I believe it. Just saying. The headline here, Bruiser, reads, Ancient Egyptians shaved off their eyebrows when their cats died. <laughs> so a lot of pro wrestling jokes, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, a lot of ribs. Lot of That's ribs. the common rib in pro wrestling is shave off the eyebrows. That's right. I don't even know how to go about this. While perusing Herodotus, Herodotus's captivating histories, which explore the cultures of the ancient world, you may come across a curious morning ritual. And that, I'm not talking about every morning. I'm talking about morning as in you're grieving. You're sad, yeah. Yeah. While discussing the veneration... <laughs> and then I get an ad that pops up. One second here. 
Is it for catnip? Yes, it's for catnip. Uh, while discussing the veneration of animals by the ancient Egyptians, a Greek historian Herodotus, 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 who wrote this song, claimed that when a cat died, all members of that household would shave off their eyebrows as a visible sign of respect and grief. They also looked really surprised around the house. So you could be walking along and say, oh, sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. Guess what? What? Fluffy died. Was that a shock to you? No. Why? Well, you look why really the, surprised. Why the eyebrows like that? <laughs> get the eyebrows. Like, I don't either. Shave your head. You know, someone gets, if a loved one gets cancer, you shave your head to show the right. unity, you know? Right. <laughs> Bruiser, not shaving my eyebrows, dude. <laughs> I love you. But I ain't doing it. What's the matter? You look spooked. The cat died. That's why, because cats always look spooked. That's why mm. you do the, the eyebrows. That's why you shave your eyebrows? Yeah, because cats always look spooked. <laughs> so they're like, oh, well, since my cat always looked this way. <laughs> <laughs> like this. <laughs> it's a joke between Bruiser and I. You guys can't see it. Uh, <laughs> but this wasn't a sign that Egyptians really like their pets. Here's, here's the rationale. Okay. Within their worldview, animals were seen as sacred, playing an important role in day-to-day -day life and religious worship. Many were associated with particular gods with whom they shared characteristics. Cats were particularly popular. Even the English word cat is derived from the North African term kata. Okay. From statues to tomb paintings, cats were depicted with a plethora of objects which bear witness to their perceived protective and sacred qualities. There are even accounts that cats owned by royalty were adorned with luxurious gold jewelry. Okay. God, I hate You're not people. getting any bling, Bruiser. Nope. <laughs> but ancient Egyptians didn't worship cats, per se. Okay. That's where we've all gone off the <laughs> gone off the rails in the Western world. Uh, what they did is to observe their behavior, explained Antonetta Catanzariti, curator okay. of div divine females or felines. <laughs> she could be a divine female. <laughs> curator of div divine felines, cats of ancient Egypt in NPR. Uh, by observing their characteristics such as their precision, aggression, or nurturing nature, the ancient Egyptians created gods in their image. Their relationship has been described as similar to that of the cow within modern-day India. Yeah, there's cows everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Archaeologists believe that cats were first domesticated as efficient pest control against vermin and poisonous snakes. As cats became more domestic, the popularity of Bastet, the ancient Egyptian cat had a goddess of home fertility and protection used to attract good luck and ward off evil spirits, increased exponentially. I think Bruiser needs to get in touch with his ancestors. He's scared of everything. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to get a little bastet in him. We had a salamander getting here the other day, and you just thought, you know, it was the devil himself. He just took off running. Really? Yeah, he was terrified. Talia's all like, I'm going to eat this thing. Bruiser's like, screw that. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Keeping cats as pets was imbued with the same qualities. Bastet soon inspired the so-called cult of the cat centered around Bubastis. Hmm. Okay. 
Ancient Egyptians loved cats so much that they would mummify and bury them in elaborate rituals. They were often interred with their humans so as to join them in the afterlife. Paradoxically, uh, cats were also considered suitable sacrifices for the gods. Ah, yes! Okay. So there you go. If you ever need to get rid of Bruiser for any reason, just say it's for the gods. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. No? Okay. Says Bruiser would sacrifice me before him. Ah, I see. Yes. Seven, uh, glass, seven bowls of water. I have to remind you. Oh, yes. Yeah, seven bowls of water. Yeah. Lucky if I get fed. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky if you get dinner every night. Exactly. Uh, these customs spurred a thriving economy whereby millions of cat mummies were created by breeding and embalming cats to creative votive offerings. National Museum's Liverpool reported that in 1890, over 180,000 mummified cats were shipped over to Liverpool. Jeez. Yeah, the shipping costs alone were staggering. Uh, in an no, act- no, they had, they had Amazon Prime. They're good. Yeah, they're good. Uh, in an act of cultural genocide, they were then sold to be used as fertilizer. Can you imagine <laughs> the cat owners that lost their shit over that one? Oh, my gosh. Mm. <laughs> In this cultural context, ensuring the welfare of cats was crucial to incur the gods' favor. If a house catches fire, what happens to the cats is quite extraordinary, wrote Herodotus. The Egyptians do not bother to try to put the fire out, but position themselves at intervals around the house and look out for the cats. Considering the prevailing cultural norms, this sounds like Mrs. Bruiser's people. Yeah. Uh, considering the prevailing cultural norms, shaving off eyebrows after the death of a revered household cat was an appropriate expression of respect necessary to ensure Bastet's continued protection. <laughs> I'm going to tell her about this when we're done, see if she's willing to do it. Well, let her know that, you know, yeah. when it's Bruiser's time, off go the eyebrows. Exactly. Yep. So there you go. That's the story. <laughs> love you bruiser not doing any of that yep. if there's a fire i will grab you and we will run out of the house yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna stand between him and the fire <laughs> no, no no yeah not pulling a bam bam big low on that deal oh well, i will because I'll, I'll pull him out of the fire oh pull him out sure of the fire safe yeah but i'm not gonna stand there while the house is burning make sure he's okay i'm just gonna <laughs> grab him first and then get out of the house and then make sure we're both okay <laughs> and finally today on supernatural news this guy did something rather unusual, so therefore he qualifies as Bruiser's new drinking buddy. Okay, I like unusual drinking buddies. Speaking of Japan, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I drank a lot in Japan. We go to Japan, where a Japanese man suctioned 11 cans to his head to break a new world record. Well, good for him. He's going to be fun at the party. We figure uh, if he can hold on to 11 cans with his head, he can drink with Bruiser. Can we, can we shotgun the beers off his head? <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly. As a matter of fact, here's the uh, here's the picture of him. Oh, your video's frozen, so I can't see. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, no. Can you see it now? No, your video's frozen. My video's frozen? Yeah, I can hear you. I just see a still shot of you. Can you see me now? Nope. No? Nope. Oh, for the love of Pete. <laughs> But I believe you. There's a can on the guy's head. <laughs> Hold on a second here. I'll, I'll do it this way. And get oh gosh! There you go. Wow. There's, good for that guy. <laughs> good for that guy. There is your new drinking buddy right there. Yeah, I'll hang out with this guy. Yeah, look at him. I love how they made it all the beer cans gold. <laughs> yeah. 
So then that way, uh, it's, he looks like. Uh, what does he look like? Without he looks like a he looks like he, a. Uh, he looks like Hellboy, actually. Does he like a gold a golden Hellboy? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. A Japanese man put his unusual skill to the test and reclaimed the Guinness World Record for most drink cans placed on the head using air suction. Oh, okay. Yeah, thirty year thirty one year old Shinuchi. I believe it's Shinuchi. Cano. How unusual that his last name is Cano. I'm just going to call him, uh, you know, uh, Shunichi. It's Shunichi. That's what it is. Shunichi Cano. Uh, initially, you're going to call him what? The, the sh- sh- I'm going to call him Shinny. How about Shinny? Shinny? Okay. Uh, initially broke the record in 2009 when he managed to suction nine drink cans to his head, and his record was later broken by Jamie Canhead Keaton. <laughs> Your old drinking buddy who replicated the feat with 10 cans. Okay. Old toucan fell behind <laughs> rather early in the bidding. Uh, Cano she, she was like, oh, I can't have this. Yeah, I can't have that. I can do 11. Yeah. Cano reclaimed the record by upping the ante to 11 cans. You're just eventually going to run out of space on your face. <laughs> <laughs> space in your face. That sounds like a, a rap lyric. Space in your face. That's our new rap album. Yeah, Space in Your Face. Uh, It's brought to you by uh, Chuck D in Public Enemy. Space in your face. Uh, He said the trick to increasing his can total was to learn to create air suction on his temples. Oh, Mm -hmm. so he thought this through. Yeah. He said, you make a wrinkle on your skin, then place a can there. Push the can firmly towards your head and ease your wrinkle. This reduces the air pressure between the can and the skin, and the can should stick like a suction cup. He's giving away trade secrets. He's going to lose his record. Oh, he'll figure out where 12 goes. (laughs) You just can't see them. It's not on that head. It's probably (laughs) the fold of the neck somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. He said his forehead makes him uniquely qualified for the record. Uh, He's probably got an old man's forehead. Uh, I have had a big forehead since I was young, he said. Everyone mentioned that, so I felt that I had something quite unique. I was thinking about how I could put this to good use. How can I utilize my five head? Hmm, I can Hmm. stick a can to it. There we go. I can put cans on my head. Kano said he is often called upon to show off his talent when he goes out to Tokyo bars. Oh, see, you're going to be out. drinks. He's getting us free drinks all night. That's right. When I go around holding my official certificate, people get excited and they ask me to do the trick. I get a lot of kicks when I entertain them. He actually made that the certificate into a necklace. So he just can then say, oh, wait, what's yeah. that on your neck? Hey, Guinness Book of World Records. Shinichi goes, I'm a world record holder. Where's my <laughs> drinks? Hey, one for my buddy Bruiser. That's right. I'm drinking for free. That's right. Saki for everybody. <laughs> That's how it's going to happen. Sapora. The Sapora beer is amazing. Or the acai beer. Ooh. Oh, Sapporo. so good. So good. Sapporo with a, with a sidecar of Saki. Okay, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, that sounds well, good. Saki sneaks up on you. I love it. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, now you know what I want. I want hibachi. I want a hibachi dinner and some, uh, I want a, a Sapporo with a sake sidecar. Oh, I'm in. I'm telling you. We're going to have Shini 
come out with this. So it's free. Mm-hmm. And we're yeah. just going to drink beers off his head all night. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If they pick up our bar tab, we'll drink the beer from his head. That's right. That's right. You got it. And the, and the sake from someplace else. <laughs> oh, I don't want the sake from somewhere else. He's probably figured out how to suction it in his ass cheeks. I have no, I, I, there's no way. I, I don't want the ass. Sake enema. Ass sake is what he calls it. I don't yep. want, I don't it's want the ass sake enema. Yeah, I don't want the ass sake. No, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Coming up tomorrow on the show, it's Mike Ricksecker, who is a, <laughs> I know that said that was way too close to ask Saki. I know. Um, Mike Ricksecker's on the show. He's coming back. He's talking about, we're talking time travel tomorrow. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah, we, we we're talking uh, Travels Through Time, which is the name of the new book, which is out right now. So if you want to follow along, you can go to uh, Amazon and get it through Kindle. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking Travels Through Time tomorrow. Uh, Mike has been to Egypt. Nice. And discovered th- some things. We're going to talk about Egypt. We're going to talk about Atlantis. We're going to talk about UFOs and UAP and how they all connect. And we're also going to talk about some of his time travel experiences. All right. Yes, that's all coming up tomorrow on the big program. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. So that's tomorrow on Darkness Radio. Bruiser, tell people where you're going to be this weekend. Uh, this Friday, I'm in Winston-Salem. I'm uh, producing the Future Stars for AML. Um, it's all this, like a student showcase for up-and-coming stars. Saturday, I am at the Andre the Giant Memorial Show, which will be a lot of fun. It's at his uh, his ranch here that he had in North Carolina. His daughter will be there. I've never met her. Be exciting to to meet her. And then Sunday, I'm back at the training center, and we're running a student-only show to uh, get some of the newer students out in front of. Just family and friends. You seriously can't see me right now? Nope. Oh, I wish you could. I get <laughs> you mentioned Andre the Giant and I got my I got my Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan two pack from WrestleMania three, my Funko Pop. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's right over there. You can't see it? I no, I don't I can't see you. You're frozen. I see like you, but you're frozen. I'm like that was John, a great WrestleMania too. That was a I'm like, huge seller. I'm like John Cena. You can't see me right now. <laughs> can't see me. You can't see me. You can't see me. Yeah, that reminds me. I got a. I got a. Uh, I got a podiatry appointment uh, on Tuesday, okay. on Tuesday, and okay. uh, my nurse has a brother who has Down syndrome. Okay. And he was just at Raw on Monday. Oh, okay. And he's a huge John Cena fan. So I'm going to surprise him when I go to my appointment on Tuesday. What I have, Bruiser, what I have... Now, see, I've been collecting wrestling stuff for the longest time. Surprise! Like, nobody (laughs) knew that, right? So do you remember the John Cena inflatable hands, the word life ones? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I have have a few of those somewhere. Yeah, where the thumbs are, are, yeah. Well, I have a pair here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So You're going to bring them for them? Yeah, yeah. Did you know that they redid those into the RVD thumbs? Did they? Yeah, if you look, they're they're similarly constructed or it's painted different. Really? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, so I'm going to bring those. And I'm trying to decide whether I want to part with my John Cena bobblehead or not. I think you'll get more of a kick out of the hands. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll bring the hands. Yeah. I'll bring the hands. Because, you know, they're they're inflatable and you can put your hands in them and you can do the, you know. Yeah, like think about when you're a kid, like a bobblehead's more for like our age because we can put it on our desk and play with it. You I know, th- like think, kids can't really play with that. I think he's older. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he's an older older guy so okay yeah but uh, you know i, I just he'll, he'll like the hands i think yeah i don't i don't know how old he is but i think he's older okay yeah but you know i just uh you know she's told me so many stories about him and and so i i just i just love giving people kick out of it when they you know especially wrestling fans that are really into one one particular. Oh, I, I love know. when I you, know, you get the special needs fans that just they love something and you get to see them. Yeah. Meet, you know, I have I have one that's a uh, back in uh, it was Milwaukee and he he was a special needs kid and um, I found out he lived he was a big fan of mine and uh, I found out he only lived about a half hour from me so. I talked to his parents and stuff and actually had lunch with him and he started to cry and shake. And it was like, it was just such a, you know, and I gave him a t-shirt and some of my wrestling gear and pictures and stuff, but it was just, it was a good feeling, you know, cause I, I made that impression on that young man. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I can't wait for Tuesday. And and plus I want to see if he had a good time at raw. So, you know, he did. It was a good raw. It was, it was a good show. It was a good show. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to Seth Rollins' shoes. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Did they not? Even if you're not wrestling fans, people, go go yeah. to Instagram and look up Seth Rollins' boots. Yeah, it, they look like, they look like uh, peeps if they were, it, peeps if they were made by Crocs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what, what I said. Like. They're, they're yeah. peep Crocs. Yeah, peep Crocs is what they look like, but yeah. So that'll do it for today uh, in the big program. Uh, again, tomorrow, Mike Ricksecker is on the program. We're talking travels through time, and we're not going to take up any more of your time because you can't travel through time to get back the time you use today. That's all there is to it. Uh, But we want to thank you so, so much for, again, uh, spending your time with us. We appreciate the time you take to listen to this program. Uh, We love you guys so, so much, and thank you for listening to us. Again, if you have Parashare stories, send it to Tim at DarknessRadio.com or leave us a voice note at DarknessRadioShow.com. We greatly appreciate it. Also, be sure to check out our sponsors for this week as they are the ones who support us as well as you guys and keep us in business and keep the lights on here at Darkness Radio. Want to mention Mint Mobile, which, by the way, $15 a month for unlimited talk, text, and data. You can't beat that deal. It's the nation's largest 5G network. Again, just 15 bucks a month. Switch to Mint Mobile today. Get your new wireless plan. Go to mintmobile.com slash darkness. Do us that favor and do that today. Also, stick to your wellness goals with premium ready-to-eat meals from Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash darkness50. Use the code darkness50 at checkout to get 50% off your order right now factormeals.com slash darkness50. Again, use the code darkness50 at checkout. Uh, But that'll do it. Thank you so much for listening to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio.